This is Game Level Learn, a podcast for parents, students, teachers, school administrators, professors, and anyone else interested in game-based learning and gamification in education from kindergarten to adulthood. Join us as we discuss card games, board games, tabletop role-playing games, and video games, and how those games and their mechanics can be used to transform teaching and learning. Welcome to Season 3 of Game Level Learn. I'm Tracy Wozenegger, and I'm joined, as always, by my arch-nemesis, Jonathan Cassie. Hey, Trace. Hey, John. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad that we're back. We're recording again. It's I know, outstanding. But we did yeah. just see each other in we person, we... not on the computer. We saw each other in person. Yeah, IRL at, uh, at, at Origins, uh, the great game fair in Columbus, Ohio. Great time. Yeah, you know, uh, I was talking to uh, some of my other friends and cronies who, who who were there, and we both agreed, or we all agreed, uh, that origins, you know, that this this last thing that we did was one of the best that we've ever that we've ever had. You know, great games, uh, pretty well organized, lots of new and interesting things going on in the hobby, lots of kind of old and interesting things resurfacing. Yep. You know, um, I did some game level learn presentations and the audience, and, you know, every time I do this, it's like a couple more people are coming out asking really good questions. You know, we've got a we've got a real movement of gamified teachers and game based learning uh, uh, kind of emerging in the profession, I think. And it's really and that was yeah, it was one of the things that made Origins great. Um, so, you know, what did you uh what did you play, Trace? I'm well, as you know, um, as I, I wasn't know. able to make it to the uh, game level learn presentation <laughs> because I sold my soul to Rogue Cthulhu, yay, um, which I cannot speak um, more highly about. Um, they're an organization that runs a whole bunch of Call of Cthulhu games, right? So I GM'd for them for 16 hours, and almost all of my other games were also <laughs> in the Rogue <laughs> Cthulhu room um, playing right. Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, so, yeah. I was playing Call of Cthulhu while you were presenting um, for for Game Level Learn. Yeah, you you were playing Call of Cthulhu when I was presenting for Game Level Learn. When I was playing board games, <laughs> when I was when I was you know getting a sandwich, you know, yeah. uh, and uh, you know I I played uh, I, I I don't play a lot of role playing games at conventions usually, but I played this time at the at the insistence of my friend, uh, Chris Tatro, uh, I played a game that we played a lot of, a lot of, a lot of hundreds of sessions called Rollmaster, a classic from the eighties uh, and early nineties. And I had such a fantastic time. Amazing. Yeah. You know, these old games, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the, you know, of the hobby in a, you know, in a few minutes, but these old games have a kind of weird, uh, n- number crunchiness that, yeah. You know, if you kind of lean into that as an experience, it's like, okay, well, okay, I'm going to roll these dice, and then I've got to add these figures, I'm going to subtract those numbers, and I'm going to check these factors. Da, 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 117. Now go look at this chart. Not on column one, <laughs> column 17. You know, and now I'm like breaking out my, uh, you know, my Coke bottle right. reading glasses because I can barely see in front of me. It was like, uh, 17 D S. I, I think that's good, did, right? Did you win? Now roll on it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did I win? Right. Okay. Now you got to roll another. You got to roll more numbers. Okay. Uh, 71. Is that good? You know, <laughs> you know, and you know, the, these days with so much of, 
of you know role playing is is really just about story 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 and about having an experience you know right. there was something great about being uh you know a, a dwarf and brewmaster who's like i'm gonna hit him with this kind of spell i don't think i can cast it but what the hell i'll try it you know well, I thought, yeah. so when we went out to dinner um, yeah. and you guys were telling me about the game, um, one of my, the favorite thing that you told me was that apparently these um, GMs or DMs have been running basically the same game yep. for years and years and years. So sometimes the players switch, but the characters that people are playing are always the same. And there's yep. this nice long history yeah. Um, so it's almost like a campaign being run at Origins. Exactly. Right. Well, and, you know, uh, it's too bad we don't have Chris on uh, this show because he he actually insisted that we arrive a half an hour early so that he could get the the sort of ingenue halfling healer yeah. kind of character. You know, that he's like, I have to get Brianna or whatever her name was, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I only ended up with the dwarven brewmaster alchemist because i'd pick you know some sort of elven spellcastery kind of thing and the guy who had played that character for like eight years yeah you know showed up and was like i hope no one's taken the force match i said well i have but i don't there care you go. Yeah. I'll, I'll play anything you know it doesn't matter to me right he was like oh you know the the the, the, the game masters there were two of them right they played off each other like a kind of Laurel and Hardy kind of thing. They were they were dynamite, right? Um, amorphous blob games out of northeastern Ohio, um, and uh, they gave dice from their never-ending bucket of dice as experience <laughs> points, you know. And uh, we hadn't even started the game, and they gave me a they gave me a twelve sider for like, hey, you get a point for being a you know a team player, yeah, for giving away your character, yeah, you know. To some, to someone who really wanted it, so I'm like, yeah, what the hell, you know? Right. Um, so, um, so look, uh, in this episode, folks, uh, we're starting season three, which is all about role playing games, Woo! and and Yay! exactly kind of what they are, why you should care. Now, you know, for those of you who have some real experience in role playing games, understand that the first couple of episodes are probably going to feel a little, uh, a little elementary. Right. But, you know, we're coming from the perspective that people who are doing gamified work don't always know all of the kind of ins and outs of these games. So we want to assume that you're here because you're keenly interested, not because you already know everything. Right. Right. So I don't know everything about role playing games. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's possible to know everything about them, to be perfectly frank. But uh, we want to make sure that those who are coming into the conversation with maybe only having heard of Dungeons and Dragons, maybe not even having played it, are going to get a sort of step-by-step on how these games work so that if you wanted to put a class, a unit of learning together that was role-playing, that had a role-playing frame, by the end of the season, we hope, oh yeah, I could easily do that even though I've hardly ever played these games. Right. Right. Or, so that's or why incorporate yeah. some pieces. Right, right. Oh, I'm going to incorporate not the whole thing, but some some right. pieces into a class. Right. I'm going to yeah. bring this element or that element in. Right. So so in this very first episode, uh, what we're going to talk about essentially the question we're going to we're going to address ourselves to is what role playing games are and how do they how do we think 
that they uniquely stimulate player and therefore learner engagement. Um, and so, we're gonna start. You're gonna give me a little history of role playing yeah, games. Yeah, a little history of the uh, of uh, you know of the hobby. So, um, what we're looking at is a is a tabletop hobby that emerges in the early 1970s from the world of wargaming and miniatures wargaming in particular. Okay, uh, the uh, the very first kind of comprehensive and complete role-playing rule set uh, is probably the the, the, the the first box set of Dungeons & Dragons uh, written by Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax, uh, published in the early 1970s by uh, a company called Tactical Studies Rules, which became TSR. Okay, um, Dungeons & Dragons was really initially seen as a way of putting a story context onto essentially a, a, a miniatures war game. Okay. Now, uh, both uh, Arneson and Gygax had very different uh, approaches to what these games might be, uh, how, how intense the story might be, uh, how intense the, 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 the kind of combat simulation might be. Which really speaks to one of the, uh, you know, the main kind of, uh, uh, you know, divide in, in understanding the hobby. Do you care more about the narrative? Do you care more about the story? Or do you care more about how it's simulating a particular kind of, uh, uh, you know, a particular kind of experience, be it a combat experience or, or what have you? Okay. So you've got Dungeons & Dragons, uh, you know, in the early 70s, which by the late 70s, has gone through a couple of editions and and uh, kind of revisions, and the publication of uh, the basic set, and then what's called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which the, with the classic Dungeon Master's Guide, Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, Troika of books, right, right in you know, circa 1980, really gets this thing going. Okay, uh, you get not only fantasy, medieval, Tolkien-esque, Tolkien-informed, Fritz Lieber-informed, you know, uh, uh, all these great, uh, you know, these great classic authors, Edgar Rice Burroughs, right, these guys, right, uh, you know, informed by them. Uh, you get also in the early 80s the, uh, the, the fragmentation of the theme out of just your fantasy, medieval, European kind of setting with games like Gamma World, which is a TSR product set in a uh, it's sort of a post-apocalyptic Earth. You get Top Secret, which is a, you know, spies, James Bond kind of thing. You get a James Bond role-playing game. You get a game called Boot Hill, which is set in the West. Right. And you sort of get the, the emergence of these kind of themes that, uh, that shaped the hobby in the 1980s. Uh, as you progress through the 80s and you get more and more thematic Diversity. That's when Call of Cthulhu starts to. Uh, uh, Chaosium is publishing Call of Cthulhu in the the mid nineteen eighties, right? right? Um, and you get uh, Iron Crown uh, publishing the game that I talked about previously, Rollmaster, uh, which is even crunchier from a number perspective than Dungeons and Dragons is, but makes a number of simulationist claims that are very different than 
than the claims made by D&D. Um, you get not just a concern about the setting and about what kind of dice you're rolling and all this kind of stuff. You get a real concern about telling stories, okay? And it's, as you move through the 80s and into the early 90s, you get game systems like uh, the Vampire the Masquerade system. You ever played Vampire the Masquerade, I'm not. Tracy? I'd love no? to. Yeah. Um, it's a, a kind of your world of darkness uh, setting, which starts with vampire, and then you get all of these other kinds of uh, creatures of the night, if you will, you know, werewolves and, uh, and wraiths and magicians and all this kind of stuff that forms a complete and, uh, you know, fully contained uh, kind of universe, you know, within it. Fantastic, right? And the system in which you play, the way you generate characters, etc., radically different, right? Um, you get those kind of games and you get the... Uh, the emergence of games like Traveler, a sci-fi game from, again, from the, from the late 70s, right, that really emerges into a very different way of thinking about character and thinking about building stories, etc. Um, in the early 1990s, you get a game like, um, like Amber role-playing, which is all about free-form storytelling. That leads to even more games of that kind and to Dungeons and & Dragons and other fantasy games trying to decide kind of what side of the, uh, you know, what, what side of the ledger are they going to fall on. Um, radical experimentation in the 2000s with, uh, with completely new forms of tabletop role-playing Games like you know uh, Fiasco, right. uh, Burning Wheel, uh, um, and you know, games like The Quiet Year, which you and I have played, yep. right? Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Gloom, not Gloom, Dread, yeah, right. Which you know, which we talked about in you know in in, in previous settings. Games where uh, you are largely acting, you know, live action role playing games, right. right? You know, come a long way, you know, in that time as well. Um, and what you get is a hobby in 2018 that starts with Dungeons & Dragons. It's very clear how that game influences all of the games that come after it, but which in some respects has really left Dungeons & Dragons, you know, kind of in its own niche, right? right. Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition is very clearly Dungeons & Dragons, yes. right? in a way that maybe 4th edition kind of wasn't, right? I always felt like 4th edition felt more like a computer game that was being played out on a tabletop, right? Which is why I think Pathfinder is so popular, because it it harked back to the old tabletop feel, right? right? You know, But what you've got with these games is a bunch of people sitting around a table trying to tell a story even if that story is only going to last a couple of hours, um, that that's at the heart of the, uh, you know, that's at the heart of the matter. Do you agree with that, Trace? I do, from what I know of, oh, from, about the storytelling? Yeah, about the storytelling. Yeah, I think it's people yeah. who are sitting down together to tell a story, to solve a problem. Right. Um, a lot of one-shot games, so games that are meant to be played 
you know, just once, like at a convention where you sit down for four hours. Right. Um, you know, usually you're presented with a problem or a mystery. Right. Something like that that's right. going to be solved or, you know, somehow completed in the four hours that you all have to play together. Right. That's the idea, at least. Yeah. Right. That you, you're confronted with a, you know, with a challenge that your characters have, a problem they need to solve, a mystery they need to untangle. Right. Right. You know, each different game has within it the kind of core story that that game cares about. Right. You know, a, um, a Call of Cthulhu game is interested in some sort of eldritch mystery. Right. Right. A, um, a James Bond 007 game is not likely to care about that. Right. Right. It's going to care about, uh, you know, something going on at, uh, uh, you know, the Day of the Dead Festival in, in Mexico City or something like that that involves, uh, you know, those, you know, those dirty communists or, you know, <laughs> de- you know, depending on, you know, depending on the time, you know, I just I just watched maybe a couple of weeks ago for the first time, the very first James Bond movie, Dr. No. Yeah. Right. Throwing and I back. was like, I, I was like, oh, my God, how did I miss this? You know, Wait, that's the first time you've ever seen it. I'd never seen it before. Yeah. I, mean, I Tracy's okay. making this sort of like, what? And, you know, I, you know, I had the same had the same uh, the same face. I put it on thinking, oh, you know, I'll rewatch it. No, oops, you haven't. Oops, you're not I've rewatching it. it. You've never seen it, you know. Um, and so you you think about some of the. You know, genre films, you know, that we like and the kind of stories that they tell, right. you know, and, and, uh, and then the role-playing experience that comes from that, you know, it, it emerges directly from, you know, what the game's like, right? A, a, a game set in the Star Trek universe is going to have a very different flavor than one set in the Star Wars universe, right? you know, versus one set in, uh, you know, the old west uh, you know set in the old west or what have yeah. you right so you've got you got stories they could be short they could be long right you've got players you've got a person called the you know dungeons and dragons called it a dungeon master but i just use the more generic term game master right whose job is to sort of shepherd the story along help the players make decisions uh, ideally not get in their way. Present opportunities. Right, present opportunities. Uh, uh, reflections, things that maybe the players had not thought about. Offer challenges, right? right? Uh, uh, mediate disputes. <laughs> right? Yeah. <clears throat> now, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this, you do this every day. I was going to say, this is what teaching is. Right? right, this is what teaching already is. Yeah. Right. So you're not going to find some of this stuff, you know, all that complicated. Uh, And if you pick a game uh, to model your own gamified learning on, if you pick a game like, say, a Numenera, which was published in the early 2010s, in Numenera, the game master's role is very is very carefully prescribed. Almost everything that happens in that game is a result of the players making decisions. All you do as the game master is set up the circumstances that's going on. You know, what's the story that's happening and then how hard is it to do whatever you just said you wanted to do. Right. Um, it's a very different kind of approach than some games where, where the game master is given so much power 
the Game Master can virtually do almost anything he or she wants to do. Now, you GM'd some Call of bad. Cthulhu. Good or bad, right? Yeah, because we've all had those experiences, right? Yeah. Now, now, Tracy, you know, I've, like I've said to you when you were just starting to get into the role-playing part of the hobby, right, that it's 2018, I've been game mastering myself since 1979, when you were, what, one? Born. Born. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I'm 12. You know, I got my first, uh, you know, basic box. Right. You know, and I'm looking at my, you know, my my In Search of the Unknown B1, you know, uh, Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons module, which still has my 12-year-old handwriting notation in it, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, but experience doesn't, it doesn't necessarily help if you don't have good instincts. I, right. I was, that's what I was going to say. I've been playing role-playing games and um, GMing for you know maybe three years now four years yeah um you know i started playing dungeons and dragons fifth edition um so i don't have um you know experience with any of the older rule systems except for what i've done um online and i played for about a year before i tried gming i thought well i you know i know the rules well enough (laughs) (laughs) Um, which means I didn't, um, but you know, I, I, I could muddle my way through it at the time. And you know, the more you do it, everyone who's a teacher knows this, right? The more you do it, the more comfortable you get. I know, you know, so many more of the rules now. Um, and when I GM, I'm more into the storytelling. I think I do role playing for the story and, um, you know, I'm not a rules lawyer. That's what a lot of people um, in the hobby call it. So if I fudge a rule or if I'm playing in a game and a GM fudges a rule, that doesn't bother me. Um, I'm, I'm just there for, you know, let's keep the story going. Let's keep, let's keep doing what we're doing and get to the end of this um, mystery or whatever we're doing. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think if you have good instincts about – Timing, storytelling, reading players, um, you can be a pretty successful GM. And as you know, we sort of both said earlier, if you're a successful teacher, you already have all of those skills. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If you are a successful teacher, you are already a successful game master. Right. Right. You may not you may not fully realize it because you haven't played the games. But you are absolutely ready to do this. Right. You're already right. using all of the skills that you need to run um, a role-playing game or to incorporate these things into your classroom. Right. Right. Now, okay. So, so they're about story. You got, right. you got people who are players, a person, maybe two, who are the game master, kind of helping to shepherd the story along, you know, kind of the... the, the, the First author, if you will, you right. know, play, players are co-authors of the game, right? Which is uh, something that sometimes teachers have to uh, struggle with a little bit. Is the idea that I'm co-author, I'm co-authoring this course, if you will, right. you know, with my players. But that's okay, you know, that's something that that you can work through. Um, players interact with the game by means of characters, okay? And every game has a way of generating characters that 
work within that game setting. Right. Okay. You know, and they all have certain qualities that the game cares about. Okay. Um, these are statistics. These are skills. These are the unique qualities that a character might have, unique items, things of that sort. Right. right. So maybe um, it's describing um, the physical characteristics of a character, how right. strong they are, how fast they are, um, how hardy they are. Right. Uh, it might be statistics that measure their uh, social skills or how yep. wise they are, how perceptive they are. Uh, it might be that it's uh, that one of the things you care about is your social standing. Right. Right. Or 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 even things that are more abstract, like how lucky you are. Right. Those are those are qualities that could also be measured, uh, you know, in a set of statistics. Right. Um, the kinds of skills that a player might have. Well, that's going to speak to not who they are inherently, but what they can do. Right. And every character can do different kinds of things, which is why when learners create characters who have sets of skills that they may not have, that can sometimes help a learner get over his or her own mental block. Right. Right, about what they can't do. Well, I can't do this, but... But my character can. Right, but Betty can. Right. Right, and because Betty can, I can think about problems in a different kind of way or be, or be uh, uh, you know, come up with, make an intuitive leap that Betty might make. Right. Right, that, uh, you know... And I may be more inclined to help my fellow player character in a way that I might feel too intimidated to. Right. If I was helping. Right. You know. Oh, I I can't I can't really help. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Annie, because she's so smart, right? But well, maybe maybe Betty could help. Jane, you know, uh, Annie's right. character, right. right? Because Betty and Jane have a different relationship than I have with Annie, you know, right. that kind of thing, right? And when you really help your your students do the character work of this effectively, we're going to talk about character in the second episode. You know, how do you create and generate, uh, you know, characters that are going to give your learners a really meaningful way into the game? Uh, you know, once you do that, then your players are going to be in very good shape to inhabit a way of thinking about the world that's different from their own. Yes. Right, and which is what we of, want. Right, and a lot of games, um, a lot of games now, um, you know, you don't just have characteristics and skills, you also have relationships to other characters in the game. Yes. So relationships that are established before you even begin playing the game um, that that influence how your character responds to other characters or situations in the game. Right. You so, you come into the game having a connection with one player. Right. Having or multiple players. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, you've got. Uh, You've got this kind of a familial relationship with player X. You've got this other kind of 
uh, of history with player Y. Right. You know, you know that that kind of thing. Uh, that can go a long way towards uh, towards helping maybe learners who don't feel like they're good at quote unquote acting. Right. You know, okay, well, if I've got a relationship with this person, then at least I know how to deal with them. Right. Because right. I have this defined, um, this defined relationship already in place. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Which, which is, is good for players who are less experienced. Sure. Right. You know, um, so since the complexity of setting up a role-playing game uh, is unlikely to lead to one-shot games in a classroom, right? Right. Right. We've got to talk a little bit about leveling, progression. One of the things that... that oh, wait. Can I say before we say that? Please, Char- please. Characters usually also have stuff. Oh, right, right. So depending on what kind of character they are and what they're good at, they might have special stuff. So right. equipment or um, <clears throat> gear that's in their inventory that helps them do whatever things they're best at. Um, right, so, right. you know, not all characters would necessarily have the same stuff um, available to them when they're working on whatever dilemma they're working on. Right, and indeed, you know, if you think about the way that some of these games uh, might look if you were basing them on, um, uh, you know, on uh, uh, properties that exist in in genre media, right? Right. Uh, so some some examples of of gear or loot that might be tied to a particular a particular character. Um, John and I just finished watching my partner John and I just watched finished watching season two of Riverdale. <laughs> okay, which is totally soapy. My friend Sudro described it best. Uh, he said it's so soapy that if it were any soapier, it would wash itself away. <laughs> right. But an example of of a piece of gear might be say Jughead's hat. Right. Right, because it's an or iconic his computer for or writing. his typewriter. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, the classic mid-2000s teen program. Here I am in teen programming. Uh, Veronica Mars. Veronica's Ah! camera. God, I love that show. I love Veronica Mars. God. That's another whole podcast waiting to happen. Oh, that would be a good one, Trace. (laughs) All right, we'll come come to that. We'll we'll circle back. We'll circle back. We'll circle back to that. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, Commander Adama's glasses in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Jordy uh, LaForge's. Uh, visor. Yep, his visor. Right in uh, you know in Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, and you know, folks, you you know what you watch, you know what you read. It's the same kind of thing. It's these it's these iconic pieces of gear that give a character their unique perspective or angle. Right, uh, Han Solo's blaster. Right, uh, you know, and. And you really want your characters, you want your players to identify and come up with these kind of unique, idiosyncratic things that give the character life, that breathes some vitality into them. Yeah. It gives, it gives ownership of your character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, it, it could be, you know, things that are part of their physical form. You know, they're, you know, uh, they've got a, a unique uh, 
uh, tattoo or they have, uh, uh, you know, uh, they wear a particular kind of body jewelry or something like that, right? You know, it could be, could be virtually anything. And sometimes these things are just there to give the character a little bit of color, a little bit of tone. But other times they, they really could, could indicate something that's really much deeper about the character, right? right? Um, or be really, really useful in solving the problem. Correct. <clears throat> correct. Uh, so the character's backstory, the, 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 the ways in which you define the character, the skills, the unique qualities they have, uh, the stuff they have. And again, we're going to talk about all these things in much more detail as the, as the season progresses. Um, one of the things you got to think about is how does a character get better over time? Which is what we do as teachers. All the time. Right? It's all about leveling and progression, right? We want the student who's a level one chemist to leave your, to leave our class as a level 10 chemist. Right. Right? Or level 20 if that's our goal in the class, whatever right. the goal is, right? And the same thing applies in these kind of campaigns, right? So, you know, if you have characters in a super spy context having to face problems that are chemistry related then they're doing chemistry right which is the goal right if they are uh if they are in a call of cthulhu kind of setting where they're trying to do eldritch mysteries but it's a history class right right the same thing can apply and you can you can overwrite a story element you just identify it as clearly fictional, but they have to do history work to get at some kind of fictional, right? You know, some kind of fictional construct, right? That's that makes the game really exciting, right? At least it seems that way to me. Right, um, or scary if you're doing Call of Cthulhu. Right, right, because uh, you know the 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 statistic that matters in Call of Cthulhu is sanity. Right, right. So, yeah, maybe you don't pick that for a fifth grade, fifth grade class. Yeah. Maybe you don't use that. Maybe you don't play Call of Cthulhu with kids. I don't know. You probably don't, right? Okay, so you were just about before I interrupted you. Yeah. Um, because you were going to talk about if we're doing this in a classroom, chances are we're not going to do a one-shot. We're not going to do this for a single class or... Um, yeah. Or even two, right? Because yeah. the point of building a character and doing all of this work is is to keep it around for a while and level it up. So we're probably going to do more of a campaign. Exactly. Um, situation where exactly. we do, you know, there's multiple um, stages um, and then your character gets to progress with the game or level up. With exactly. The game. Exactly. Right. So, uh, as you and we you know again, like I said before, we're going to talk about experience systems and how do you give rewards and all that kind of stuff in episodes later on in the season. Right. But you want to be thinking about just like in in great you know in great um, you know stories or great board games, what's the end goal in mind? You really have to have thought through. Okay, well, if my players can uh, can demonstrate mastery of this kind of mathematical principle, chemical principle, historical principle, language principle, whatever you care about as a teacher, you've always got to have your learning goal in mind. What is the, what is the most complex expression of that 
that you want your students to be able to do at the end of the learning. Right. That becomes the boss level. That becomes the the big bad. You know, that becomes, uh, you know, Smaug, right? Or, you know, uh, uh, Sauron or, uh, you know, the White Witch, whatever, right? You know, you've got to have that in mind at for the, for the end, you got to think about what do your characters need to learn how to do step by step by step. What are the five, six, eight steps that they need to demonstrate mastery of before they can they can go at that boss, right? right? And and so that that speaks to the preparation you have to do beforehand. It speaks to thinking about the learning in graduated steps. Yes. Right, because. A story takes place in graduated steps. What the characters learn take place in graduated steps. The hero leaving home doesn't know everything when the hero leaves home and has many, many journeys and adventures along the way that that improve the character's ability to solve problems, to accomplish his or her goals, right. etc., Right. right. And that remains that that's that's true. You know, that is just, uh, you know, that remains true throughout a game. It remains true throughout a story. It remains true throughout a learning experience. Right. Right. Um, so we'll talk over the course of this season as well about all the different kinds of systems that we've played and are playing and are kind of, you know, thinking about as examples you might use as you do your your learning structure okay and i think Um, so just as we've been talking today yeah i've been like you've probably seen i like have been scribbling furiously on a piece of paper sure because i'll say something or you'll say something i'd be like oh my gosh i could totally use this in chemistry right oh my gosh what if i did this right so we'll also talk you know any brainstorms that we have um you know we'll spit those out to um just as little tidbits of what if we did this? Have you thought about that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, folks, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that the way that Tracy and I will riff on things, right. will uh, you know, we'll sometimes generate really interesting approaches or, huh, I'm not sure at the end of the day that I would actually do that, but it might be interesting to explore it maybe with some, maybe with three or four teachers right. before I would try it with some kids. Right. Yeah. Um, Tracy, at the end of the day, one of the things we care about in game-based learning and gamified instruction is engaging players, engaging learners in ways that conventional approaches, we think, yeah, they kind of miss. Right? Right. So you've played a lot of role-playing games. I've played a lot of role-playing games. Why are they fun to you? And why do you think they might be fun to student learners? So I think think they're fun for me um i like the opportunity to maybe be something i'm not you know we talked about it already um right. you know we don't all have all the skills we want to have all the right. time right right um, yeah sure but when you build a character you can build a character that might have some of those skills that you are less confident about sure yourself um so, you know, I've made characters that are very unlike me. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know? me too. <laughs> yeah. Very unlike me. Um, you know, I would say that um, 
the I'm playing in a Pathfinder campaign, um, and I would say that I think my character is very unlike me. I think some of my <laughs> friends think she's quite like me, right? Um, but I she has a lot of characteristics that I don't think that I possess, um, or that I would say I'm less confident about in myself. But yeah. when when I'm making decisions on her behalf, I don't hesitate to make those decisions um, yeah. or to, you know, to do the things that, that someone who is confident in those skills would do. Um, so for me, that's a lot of fun. Um, it's, I, I think it's a, it sounds stupid to say, but it's a safe form of risk-taking. Totally it is. Right? It's a way to try yeah. things out and um, to, you know, get a feel for things. Um, without actually putting yourself out there, maybe, yep. in all situations. Yep. Um, I also, um, I like solving problems. I like mysteries. Right. I like, right. you know, I mean, I, I think that's always been who I am. And I think it's part of the reason that I'm, you know, a science teacher, because science is a whole bunch of mysteries sure. solved, too. So for, that's why I like Call of Cthulhu. I think there's almost always a mystery um, or, you know, what's actually going on and how am I going to die or go insane horribly? Um, so I think right. that's what, you know, there's surprises around every corner. There's, um, you know, in all the games I've played, there's been enough, um, like, contest yep. between, between us and the game, between players, between, you right. know, there's right. been enough to keep it interesting. So, right. um, you know. Me, me being the uh, the theorist that I am, you know, uh, I go back to those four mechanics that we right. talked about last season. You know, Aegon, you know, the contest. Right. Right. You know, it, am, am I contesting against a, you know, a, a goblin or am I contesting against a, you know, a, a fiendish problem or a, right. you know, a clever villain, you know, or or am I just contesting against my own sense of, uh, you know, boy, I don't think I'm very good at this, but I really know that this character is, so I'm going to take the risk. Right. You know, uh, it's got the luck element. You know, we've always got some kind of element that is going to introduce some kind of random, right. you know, ra you know, ra random chance into it, whether it's, you know, I'm going to roll this die to determine whether I was successful or, you know, whether my character lives or, you know, gets that promotion or whatever, right? Um, mimicry, that's what the whole season's about. Right. right. I'm going to take on another identity. Right. And role playing games are so illinks. They're so oh likely gosh. to generate these astounding moments of what just happened. Right. You know, you know, uh, Chris and I. At. At Origins, okay, 2018, uh, one of the GMs made a passing reference to something that caused Chris and I to look at each other immediately about a. Role-playing session, again, this is probably now 30 years ago, right, where Chris and the rest of the players talked themselves into a really, really bad decision, right? <laughs> and we were, I, I was kind of uh, reminiscing with him about this decision. And I, mean, I was game mastering, right? I just didn't say anything. Let the players talk themselves into whatever they're going to do, right? right? And... To this day, two of our friends who just happened to not be at that session, if you even go go 
anywhere near it. They're like, don't you look at me. <laughs> I wasn't there. I had nothing to do with that, right? That decision is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in 50 right. years of role playing. Right. I wasn't there, you know? And so, you know, what, what, do you, what do you want in any game? You want the game's structure to allow shocking, surprising, awesome things to right. emerge of themselves, right? Right. By, and that's what so, this was. Right. And this is, that reminds me of another reason I like um, role-playing games. The player choice. Sure. Right. The GM can dangle whatever hints or, um, you know, trails to follow and you know, right. breadcrumbs everywhere. Ultimately, right. it comes down to what the players choose, um, you know, which could totally circumvent the story that you've designed um, for them to follow you, know, the path that you've designed for them. But ultimately, it's their choice to make right. those decisions. Yeah. Right. Now, the nice thing about doing this as a gamifying teacher is you're likely to have problem sets that your characters have to overcome. Right. Right. It doesn't matter how they come to that problem as much as it matters whether they can solve the problem. Right. Right. Uh, so you've got a little bit of a potential pass there right. as your players spool off into God knows where they're going. Right. Right. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, a door with a lock that can only be opened with a code derived from understanding biology. Right. Is still a door that needs to be opened. Right. Whether it's on this side of the room or that side, you know? Um, so, you know, you, you, you're, you're not going to lose all your work necessarily. Right. 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 Yeah. I, I think in a, <laughs> a well-designed um, classroom situation, you can still provide that player choice in a framework where the kids are meeting all of the learning goals that you've designed for them. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, that that has to be... That, that That's the delicate balance here, isn't it? Right. Right. Don't get so caught up in the game that you lose track of your learning objectives. Right. Don't become so slavish to your learning objectives that you're not prepared to flex a little bit for the story when five or ten minutes of story work is going to make it that much easier for the player learner a month from now to take the real risk that you're trying to get that player learner to take. Right. You know, because, uh, you know, we, we all have different, you know, our students have different needs. Right. Just like our players do, you know. Um I love the fact that these games can't really be won with one player doing his or her own thing. Right. You know, you got to figure out how to work as a team. Yeah. You know, and you've got to figure out each person's strengths and weaknesses. Right. It's not always going to be the muscle that gets you through. Sometimes it's, you're going to charm your way through. Right. Sometimes <laughs> you're going to cast a spell. Right. Sometimes right. you're gonna need all three. Yeah. Right. Right. Sometimes it's 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 bluffing. Sometimes it's being determined. Sometimes right. it's, you know, sometimes it is muscling your way through. Right. Right. You know, sometimes you need, uh, you know, you need that kind of Iron Man glibness. Yeah. Sometimes you need the Iron Man suit. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you need Tony Stark's money. Right. Right. You know, that's why he's a great character because he can he can approach these problems from a variety of different perspectives right. you know you know sometimes you need the kind of fast talking I mean, you know you think tony stark is glib 
Tony Stark doesn't have any skill in glib compared to uh, Star Lord. Right. Right. Star Lord is twenty percent. Le- uh, level twenty glib. Yeah. Right. Right. Tony yeah. Stark Tony Stark is like five. level twelve. You know. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> what is what is Star Lord? You know, he's twenty percent adorable. You know, fifteen percent cute, sixty percent <laughs> glib, thirty percent blaster. You know, five percent the cool the cool uh, mask. You Don't know. Don't forget his um, backpack that lets And him the fly. backpack. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, he's a. Uh, He's also, uh, you know, 83% cassette tape, you know? Right. Right. I'm pretty um, sure that's more than 100%, but... No way, man. That adds up to a but clean But he also 100. has Rocket's brains and... Right. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, you think about you think about any of the great teams, you know, you know, why do they, you know, kind of why do they work, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, you're sort of your... your your holy, your holy trinity to me is always James T. Kirk, Leonard McCoy, and and Spock because they they capture everything all together. You know, you put them, except, you put them except femininity. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Tracy. feminism. <laughs> Friends, I'm, I, when I'm rolling out my Star Trek stuff, Tracy's eyes are rolling back so far. In her in her eye sockets that they've come all the way back around. Because obviously you know. I'm Team Picard. Okay, so what's your holy trinity of Team Picard? It might not be a trinity. Picard, oh, of course, right? Because Data, it's the eighties. Troy. Yep. Troy. Wesley Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Team Picard. I'm Team Wesley. 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 Right. Wesley. Wesley. Yeah. But really Team Picard. Yeah. Rock on Team Picard. Right. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you get in these games a chance to deploy a new identity, a new voice, yeah. solving problems, collaborating, cooperating. You know, these are all, you know, we, we you, you know, you, you, you hear it every, every 10 minutes if you're in an education space. And, you know, I say it 15 times a day, 21st century skills. Right. right. You know, we're we're mindful, I think, as an education profession, that here we are in 2018. What are we talking 21st century skills? We're 20 years into the 21st century. Right. Right. You know, that doesn't mean that we have to stop talking about it, but we, we probably need to, to, to make some commitments to what does that actually mean. To me, it means creativity, problem solving, collaboration, being able to speak effectively – being able to to um, to solve really tricky problems by putting a team together yep. that makes sense to solve that problem. Right. These are all things that role playing games, I think, uniquely do do and help a learner do. If you're yeah. not if you're not doing those things in your role playing game, you're not very good. Role you're going to struggle. Yeah, you're going to struggle. <laughs> It's not going to be a fun session. Reflection about about your your goals while you're role playing. Right. Yeah. 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 uh, Yeah. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. I think uh, I think I'm going to uh, I think I'll reflect on that and then I'll uh, then I'll get back to you in the fullness of time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's we've never actually played together, have we? Oh, Quiet Year. Oh no, Tracy. We have played together. Quiet Year. We played the Quiet Year. And that one. The game that Martin ran, Hillfolk. Yeah, Hillfolk. 
right, that was on the space on station. The space station, which sounds funny because it's called Hillbrook. <clears throat> right, yeah. uh, where where I was tormenting Michelle as yes. as the android Valen Three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun game. That was fun. Wish we yeah. didn't finish it. <clears throat> yeah, and you have forgotten that we've played uh, fifteen sessions of Call of Cthulhu. But you weren't didn't play. I didn't play. I was jamming. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. Like we've had oh, I see. Yeah. Time as players together. Indeed. Yeah. 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 Maybe we should. Um, maybe we should think about how we're going to remedy that. Yeah. Yeah. We Let's think about it. DM for us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if anyone yeah. out there would like to DM. Yeah. A game. Yeah. Um, any game. I'll play any. I'll play any system yeah. once. Same. Um. So, uh, Tracy, we're in the uh, we're in the fifty second minute now. So let's let's uh, yeah, that's that's a long episode for us. So are we gonna throw uh, out a couple of try these? Listen to these? what are we gonna do? How are we wrapping this up? I think we uh, I, let's let's give each of us uh, a couple of recommendations for people who just listened to this episode. Go and look at these two games. Start here. Okay. Go look at these two, and see what you see what you think. Maybe maybe you could uh, offer a, a a system that's a little more simple and a system yep. that's a little more complex. Maybe, yep. right? Uh, so what do you uh, what do you think? So I think I know. I'm pretty sure I mentioned it last season. I think a pretty simple one um, that's actually GMless. Um, you just need a whole bunch of uh, six-sided dies. Those are the standard yep. uh, cube-shaped die uh, is Fiasco. Yep. Um, I think, so it's not very crunchy. Um, no. Nope. Your character creation is is pretty simple, but part of the character creation is building relationships to the people sitting next to you, um, which I think is um, a nice setup for the game. Um, so it's easy to play. Um, you can get a little paperback book. There are scenarios online um, that you can get. Um, tons of different themes. So if you're interested in scary stories or westerns or sci-fi or mysteries or there, you know, you can basically pick any setting that you want for Fiasco. Yeah. So I think uh. it's, it's rules light, quick and easy to play. You can play in an afternoon. Um, I think it plays six up to six it might even play more it might yeah i've, I've yeah. always played with six people yeah um, so yeah. that's my recommendation for like a you know an easy to pick up if you get it wrong it's not going to matter um you know you'll still have a great time yeah it it it, it only takes a uh what two two hours tops? Yeah, you could play in two or three hours. I mean, you could play longer depending on you know, like we obviously go like overboard and are ridiculous. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, you could play it in two or three hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think for uh, for simple, almost any indie kind of yeah. kind of game, you know, is is gonna is gonna work. Um, now you need a really good game store, g generally speaking, to find these kind of indie games, right? So I might recommend, which would be very accessible, that you think about looking at the, uh, I think it's called the, uh, 
not beginner's edition. I, I, it'll be in the show notes. But there's a streamlined version of Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Oh. That is is it's virtually like like four four pages, right? Okay. Or like like ten pages. You know, it's very very short. Okay. And since Dungeons and Dragons is available just about anywhere. And, and, I, and I believe the abbreviated version that I'm talking about is actually available online. Uh, if so, I will put a link in the show notes. Um, you know, I think I might recommend that folks start there because the game has so many supplements. It's so it, it's so well known. And you, know. you can, you know, probably go to a local game store and find a game or someone to teach you. Totally, totally, um, yeah. In Pittsburgh, we have once a month at our main library um my friend um ren runs a meetup where you can come and play for two and a half hours so you can probably find people that'll have pre-gens pre-generated characters yep dice everything you need to just sort of sit down and and play with a gm who is going to be um newbie friendly and and help you out um since you mentioned um you know indie games yeah um you know Indie Press Revolution. Yes. Um, is um, they're usually at Gen Con and um, conventions and things like that, selling games. But uh, they have a tons of stuff on their website. Um, yep. It's I N D I E Press Revolution dot com. Um, we're not getting any money from them. Yeah. Um, but fi- the PDF for Fiasco is twelve dollars. Um, yeah, which is a very fine. And there's tons of other ones on here, like Dread, and um, which is another pretty rules light, but I think requires a little more work from a GM. Yep. Um, so I picked Fiasco because you could just sort of pick it up and play it. Um, so that's so D and D is your easy one to play. Oh yeah, I, I look, but look D&D for the simplified light. rule. Yeah, D and D light, right? Light. Um, so what's my complicated one to play? Ugh. I mean, I'm obsessed with Call of Cthulhu. Right now, I can't. I cannot get enough Call of Cthulhu right now. It's a good one to look at. It's really good. Um, its skill it's, system is really good. Its skill system is good. It's pretty similar to D and D in that you have main traits. So each mm-hmm. character has a, you know a size, an education, an intelligence, um, an appearance. Um, right. So Call of Cthulhu occasionally uses your appearance to see how people react to you. It has a whole skill system based on percentages. Um, so, you know, if, you're, if your library use is 60% and you want to go to the library and do some research, you roll a D100. Um, yep. And if you score below your percentage, you can find what you're looking for. Um, so the, the, the more you're skilled at something, the higher your percentage in that skill is. Um, it also has fun mechanics for luck and sanity um, yes which you know make it a little bit um different than dungeons and dragons um most call of cthulhu games um are you know they're based on lovecraft's work so not necessarily for the faint of heart um right you know if if scary horror kind of themes are not your bag i would look somewhere else (laughs) yeah for sure for sure um (laughs) In terms of uh, more complex games, uh, there, there's literally hundreds to choose from. 
I'm going to pick Numenera because I'm obsessed with it in the way that yeah. you're obsessed with Call of Cthulhu. Uh, Numenera is set in a far future Earth that has undergone many, many, many radical revisions. It's part of what's called the dying Earth uh, kind of theme uh, in literature. Uh, Jack Vance, Gene Wolfe are the sort of masters of that kind of fiction. And what I love about Numenera is that it is story complex, but it is system straightforward. Right. Right. It's very easy to generate a character. It's very easy to understand how skills work. Uh, Characters essentially can be described in a single sentence. I am an adjective noun who verbs. Right. And that level of elegance continues to just blow my mind. Yeah. Um, and and has the built-in relationship. Yes, it does. Which I like. Yep, yeah. yep. And so the, the, the party coming together generally will make a lot of sense in a way that it won't make much sense in many other games. Right. Right, you know, veteran game masters will often talk about the, the challenges of that very first game. You meet at a bar... Uh, you know, you are all summoned by the king, but, but, but it all feels very artificial, right? right? Um, and because these games are, are collaborations, uh, you don't get the single viewpoint character the way that you might in, say, a program like, say, Firefly, right? Where it's, you know, it's, it's Captain Reynolds' ship, right? right? Um, and that, that can be, that can be a, bit, a bit harder, you know, a bit trickier, you know? Uh, so I'm going to say Numenera, even though it it's certainly less complex than Dungeons and Dragons. If you buy the full D and D, you buy the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Handbook, right. the Monster Manual, you buy the 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 the, the, the Troika, right. right? That's a thousand pages yeah. of content. You do not need that to play Dungeons and Dragons. No, I mean, you and you can go to a game store or a library someplace with a pre-generated character and be fine. Yep. Yep. And that's that's definitely the way to start. You know, if you're thinking about this as a model, my fellow educators, and you don't have a lot of experience playing, you really do want to you want to get yourself to a local con, you want to get yourself to a meetup. You want to get yourself some a little bit of experience playing. Um because it'll it'll be a great help to you in structuring the learning experience for your for your kids, you know. Or check um, out um, Roll20.net. Yeah, for sure. Online games. Yeah. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're the sort of person in this hobby who is also an educator and you're listening to this thinking, oh, well, what about these 10 games that you didn't mention? Well, you know, understand that if you're anything like me, you've got dozens of role-playing systems I've on your... Books and books everywhere. Right, right, right. You've got books and books everywhere. That you're, you have because you're reading about how they do system. Right. Right. And you care about how they're doing systems, mindful that, well, I'll probably never play that game. But boy, but I, I kind of think. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I want to, you know. Or how interesting, I would never have thought about character that way. Right. Or I would never have thought about skills that way. Or, 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 or. Yeah. You know, um, Hill Folk is a really good example of of that because the way that they do storytelling is really unusual i just love it yeah it was it was great fun yeah it was a good game um so as we come to the end of uh episode one of season three uh we hope you've got a sense of where we're going 
how excited Tracy and I are to talk about, you know, role-playing because it's so awesome. It's so awesome. You know, and we hope that by the end of the season, you'll have a really clear sense of how you might do this, uh, you know, with your kids, regardless of how old they are and regardless of the discipline they're in. Right. Yeah. So uh, next time, we're going to be talking in depth about characters and about avatars. How do you create a meaningful character? Uh, what are they like? Uh, and, you know, how they work. Great. Okay? Can't wait. So, folks, uh, thanks for tuning in. Season three, well launched. Tracy, can't wait to keep doing the work with you. Yay. Yay. We're off and running. <laughs> All right. See you again soon. Bye. Okay, bye. You're terrible at this. You're terrible at everything, I Tracy. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. We're 15 so seconds the in. The gag reel. <laughs> You're terrible at everything. Tracy. Tracy. Barf. <laughs> Barf. This is for the gag right. reel. Would you please start the podcast, please? <laughs>